so good morning. Uh, my name is Leonard. Welcome to all of you guys, and a special welcome to anybody who might be a first-time guest. Um, like I said, my name's Leonard. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, we're glad you guys are here. Um, we're going to be opening our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, if you'd like to get your Bibles ready. Uh, we won't be there for a few minutes, but uh, if you want to be prepared. Also, you might want to keep a thumb in that 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 as we will reference back to a few of those verses as we go through. Now, this morning we're going to be continuing on with our Mission, Vision, and Values series, which we are in fact wrapping up this week. And uh, next week we're going to be picking up in Genesis where we left off. Gabe's going to be leading us through that uh, through that next chapter. So to quickly review our core values as we finish these up, we started with adoration, which we said is through worship, prayer, and generous hearts, we express awe for the glory of God. Then discipleship, we are becoming more like Jesus. Sound doctrine, we know God's Word and we stand for its truth. Spiritual gifts, we equip people to use their God-given gifts to serve. And evangelism, we share the gospel as ambassadors for Christ. Now, this morning we're going to be focusing on the idea of generosity, which in itself isn't specifically one of the core values, but it falls under that core value of adoration. So if we put that back up, thank you guys. It says, through worship, prayer, and generous hearts, we express awe for the glory of God. Now, prayer and worship tend to be um, a little bit easier for most folks to get behind and are always a little bit less contested, but when we get to the idea of generosity, um, especially in the area of money, things can get a little bit weird. Uh, we have to admit that people simply get weird. Um, in fact, you could say there's probably two things that you never want to talk about in church. Uh, one of them is money, and the other one is parasites. Um, but since we took care of the parasite issue a few weeks ago, we might as well talk about money. And, uh, but to be serious, I pray that this morning we can have a realistic, practical, and truthful talk about generosity and even money. Um, I actually think this message is going to be a pretty easy one for our congregation because I think I can say with confidence that we are an extremely generous church. Your generosity gives us the ability to have a full-time pastor. Your generosity gives us the ability to meet consistently in this facility, which we know is not perfect, but it's a facility. We use a lot of square footage. We have a full-time children's director. We are able to pay small stipends uh, to our student ministry leader, our facility lead, and an accountant. We have multiple ministry partners like Mark from the Frontiers organization that you guys just heard from. We also support uh, Rob and Christy Day with Abiding Ministries uh, in the San Carlos Apache Reservation. We support a gentleman named Kurt Vonderlinden with an agency called Indo Partners. And we also support a couple in Guatemala named Alex and Melody Contreras, who are ministries with a group called Tree Ministries. And locally, we also support the Hope Women's Center. 
Your generosity allows us to have compassion line items in our budget that meet needs of people in the community and even people in our own congregation who face different challenges when they come up. I know that whenever we throw out any sort of need, our congregation is incredibly quick to respond. Uh, One example, just a few months ago, we had a local foster agency who reached out to us with an urgent need for school backpacks with only two Sundays before their deadline. Your generosity literally filled the entire bed of my truck. I'm not going to cry. With backpacks full of school supplies um, that went to kids who probably would have gone without otherwise. Now, I could keep going on and on, um, but I think you guys get the point. We have a really, really generous church. So um, while some of this content makes me a little nervous to go over, I think I can stand here confidently and say, you guys are super generous. Uh, So let's get into our Bibles in Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 16. The text says, And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, as I prepared for this message, this parable kind of came to mind, and we aren't really going to be studying this much beyond this text, but I think it paints a very good picture. I think that deep down, um, at some point, all of us are or have been a version of the rich fool. Now, I don't really watch much TV, but I know that at one time there was this show called Hoarders. And they would show these people with extreme cases of hanging on to stuff. And it was stuff that in our eyes, we would consider worthless and garbage. Uh, I saw a case where uh, this person's house looked as if like a tornado had sat on top of it for a few days and just stirred it up into a pile of trash on the inside. Or there were other cases where people kept like really, really odd things like 30 years worth of Burger King wrappers, or they saved all of their toenail clippings, right? And we can hear this, and we can be grossed out by it, uh, but I believe, like, deep down, kind of the heart behind this is something that all of us could struggle with to some degree. Verse 15 of that passage said, again, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, in those extremes that I mentioned, I know that there's a big element of mental illness that goes beyond being covetous, but uh, when I examine my own life and I think about others, perhaps that all of us have our own thing. 
It could be clothing. It could be shoes. It could be vacations, electronic gadgets, guitars, guilty, uh, canned goods, coupons, anything including your money. Now, it's important for us to understand that none of these things in themselves are bad. We can have all of these things, but the idea is that no thing has our heart. See, we can so easily let these idols into our life, and sometimes we don't even recognize them as idols, but God warns us that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. So, how do we combat this? We know that having things and having money isn't bad or evil, so where do we find the balance? I believe the balance is, and the answer to that question, is in generosity. Making sure that we have a generous heart is a surefire way to keep ourselves in check and understand that we have no idols before God. So this morning we're going to try to lay out a biblical framework for generosity that I hope will encourage and challenge your guys' hearts. We believe that generosity is essential to the Christian life. We also believe that generosity includes far more than money, although we're going to focus that a lot on this this morning because it's kind of a hard idol to kick. But because we stand for truth, I want to start out by making two statements that might be very bold. We believe that generosity or giving, as we're going to kind of use those terms interchangeably this morning, is an issue of faith and obedience. You may remember from the scripture reading this morning, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it said that each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Did you hear the first part there? It said each one must give. So it doesn't just say, well, if, if you want to at the end of the month and you feel like it and you've bought everything you wanted, you could maybe give a little bit. It actually says the word must. This is what we call an imperative or a command, which means that giving is an act of obedience. And as far as faith, the verse right before that, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, it said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I think this verse is quoted so often and also commonly uh, misinterpreted from the prosperity folks especially as some sort of like transactional type thing where it's purely a give to get, Um, but I kind of want to challenge that a little bit too. And I do that by saying, I wonder what would cause a farmer to sow sparingly. Now, I myself am not a farmer. I've never been one. Um, But I do know some people who a few years back used to play this game called Farmville on Facebook. So um, I might consider myself somewhat of an expert. Um, But it makes sense to me that one would only sow sparingly if you didn't believe that it had the ability to produce food or to produce crops. So a farmer who sows an entire field is doing that work in faith that it will produce a great yield. That means that the farmer has faith. And if we apply this to generosity, which is the context of that passage, of course you wouldn't do it if you didn't believe that it had the power to produce fruit. 
That makes generosity an issue of faith also. So we'd be bold to say that if you are calling yourself a Christian and you are not giving, that you're moving into sin territory. But let's be very clear. I didn't say how much. I didn't say give all. I didn't say tithe. I simply said giving. The second bold statement I would make is that we know that generosity includes your time, it includes your talents, and it includes your, ta- your treasures, and we believe that you should be giving all of these things. But one, uh, every so often I might hear somebody who says, well, I don't need to give any of my money because I give my time and I give my talents, so that's good enough. We'd like to challenge that a little bit also. Now, as servants of God, we are ever increasing in what we call sanctification, which is a word that means to make holy. And Scripture makes it clear that sanctification begins at the moment of salvation and continues through glorification. And the Christian life is a journey through sanctification and growth in holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you must be holy in all your conduct. So as we are sanctified, we are growing in Christ's likeness. Remember that discipleship core value. We are becoming more like Jesus. Now, I cannot find any example in Scripture of Christ just picking his one thing that he wants to hold back and keep only for himself. And if we are growing in Christ-likeness, we have to acknowledge that while we may not be required to give all, as Jesus did, we should certainly be willing to. And that absolutely does include money. In Luke 14, 33, Jesus says, So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, if either of those statements struck a chord with you, I can want to reassure you that this process is a journey. It started when God opened your heart, and it will continue until you meet Him in glory. He's generous, He's gracious, and He's constantly molding us. So, as generosity is a struggle for you, ask Him for wisdom, ask Him for guidance. Dive into His Word, let it dwell in you richly. If you need forgiveness, ask. He won't deny it. And while these can be hard words to hear, I hope what you hear most is that God is not done with you yet. He's not done with any of us. But please pray that the Holy Spirit would guide you in this and change your heart. And as we move along in this study, we're going to focus in three areas that I think every believer should examine in their lives to help with generosity. The areas are as follows. The first one is know your role. We're going to be talking about stewardship. Secondly, we're going to ask you to check your heart. What are your motives? And thirdly, we're going to ask you to do your part. And we're going to talk about what this looks like practically. And we're going to get into each one separately, but I know that some of you guys like uh, an outline, so that's kind of where we're going with this. Now, along the way, I'm going to insert um, a few examples from mine and Catherine's personal story, as this has kind of been a journey for us. 
And uh, we've gotten the chance to share it with many of you, but not all of you. So here's kind of the really quick Reader's Digest version. Uh, Many years ago, Catherine and I felt uh, the Spirit convicting us in the area of our finances and generosity. So we'd go to church and we'd see different ministries and missionaries who needed support, and we really, really wanted to support them. Only we simply could not. We didn't have the means. In fact, we didn't even really think that we had the ability to give at all. And this led us through a 10-year or so journey where through God's grace and an incredible amount of hard work, we were able to pay off $266,000 in debt. And a blessing of that, yes, has been that we've been able to do some kind of cool uh, things and have some fun experiences with the extra money. But more importantly, it has allowed us to act in areas of generosity that we feel led to. And throughout um, what we go over this morning, I'm going to share some kind of thoughts or strategies behind uh, some of our actions, and some of them may be our personal convictions and not necessarily biblical commandments, although we do believe that they were supported in Scripture. I think the difference in those areas will be uh, pretty clear, but where I think there might be some sort of gray area, I'll try to be very clear. But remember, most importantly, it has nothing to do with us, but what God does in the hearts of people who are seeking to grow in a certain area. So after world's longest introduction, let's talk about the first point. Uh, Know your role. Now, a ways into our uh, debt-free journey, we had paid off all of our debt except for the house. So before we tackled that last obstacle, we decided to celebrate. Uh, We called it our victory cruise. The four of us went on this cruise, and it was just absolutely amazing. Um, I get emotional because the memories, it was, it was uh, such a big accomplishment for our family. But it was on that cruise that I think I really first understood this idea of stewardship. Now, because I had studied it for a long time, I thought I truly understood what it meant. And then I was introduced to the cabin steward. His name was Dwee. And if you've ever been blessed to go on a cruise, maybe you've had a similar experience. So anytime we left our room, uh, this cabin steward, or room ninja, as I would like to call him, would just descend out of nowhere, and he would clean our room and put it back into absolutely perfect order. And we aren't the tidiest of people, so this was like a chore I mean, we'd be gone for two minutes, the sheets would be changed, the pillows would be fluffed, the kids' stuffed animals were hanging from the ceiling, and he'd turn our bath towel into a seal. I mean, it was insane. Like, he cared so much about our room that he always wanted it to look perfect. And so I understood that a steward was somebody who takes care of something on behalf of somebody else, But I realized that because they have such regard for the owner, that they take care of it in a way that truly shows its importance. See, we want the owner to be pleased and also blown away by our care of what we've been entrusted to. So in becoming a generous person, the number one thing I believe that we can do is have a proper understanding of what it means to be a steward, and then actually act on it as if we believe it. 
Again, we're back to the idea of faith and obedience. If we acknowledge God as the creator, this means that we have nothing apart from him. So anything you have is from him and is ultimately owned by him. You are only a manager. Scripture says in Psalm 50, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Now we can break down the principles of stewardship into three easy areas. These aren't my areas, um, but I think this is the simplest breakdown. We can say that proper stewardship is using his blessings, his way, for his glory. So as far as his blessings, I don't think we need to harp on that one too much, because I think we've made the point. It all belongs to him. Your job, your family, your stuff, your money, you are only a manager. And I think part of the reason why generosity is so hard is because we forget this simple idea. See, like, you probably go out, you work hard, you work long hours, your head hurts, your leg hurts, your back hurts, and so when payday comes, it's mine. The money is the fruit of my labor. I picture us all turning into that little guy from Lord of the Rings, wanting to like hang on to our precious and want nobody near it. But the truth is, it's actually not ours. That job that we have was given to us by God. The ability to perform the labor was given to us by God. The money we received in that check was a blessing from God. It still belongs to him. He's simply giving us the opportunity to be a steward over it. So that moves us to his way. What does it mean to use his blessings his way? Well, as a steward, our goal should be to manage the blessing in a way that honors the owner. And one thing as I learn more about God, I learn that God is incredibly intentional. Things do not happen on accident or against his will. He always has a plan. He's never caught off guard. He's not like me and says, well, I didn't see that coming. So we're told in Psalm 119, for all my ways are known to you. Or in Psalm 139, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And in Psalm 147, your understanding is beyond measure. Or 1 John 3.20, which states it most clearly, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. See, our giving of his blessings shouldn't be lazy, and it also shouldn't be without a plan. It should be incredibly intentional, because God himself is very intentional. Now, the uh, other elders who are here in the room can probably attest to this, but when we get into our elder meetings and we're presented with a ministry or some sort of thing that wants our support, um, I basically start the Spanish Inquisition, and uh, don't laugh too hard, guys. Uh, and I ask a million questions, and I want to know every bit about the people and the ministry who wants our support. Now, is it because I want to be a pain or I want to be difficult? Absolutely not, even though it might come across that way sometimes. But I see these things as a huge responsibility. See, if God is trusting me to steward the generosity that comes to the church, 
we better have a plan to ensure that this is a situation that God would want his blessings to pour into. If a ministry is run poorly, has questionable values, or doesn't line up with our mission, giving to them is not being generous. It could actually not be a blessing. Pouring money and resources into a toxic situation is actually what we call enabling, and it's harmful. And just because somebody has nonprofit in their name doesn't simply mean that we should give without question. Because we have to acknowledge that 501c3 is a designation given by the IRS and not by the Holy Spirit. And since we are accountable to God, the owner, we should seek to stand before him with confidence that we were obedient and we handled his blessings as if they were a gift from the creator of the universe. Because that's exactly what they are. See, our individual resources to steward are finite, so we need to be intentional and steward them appropriately. So once again, we need to be giving and be giving generously, but also giving with purpose and intentionality. So for his glory, what does that mean? I think this is a really quick uh, subpoint that transitions, but it's pretty important. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we give, we do it for one reason. It's for his glory. It's not to make you feel good. It's not to show off to the pastor. Um, yes, it will bless you in return, but maybe not monetarily. But that's not the primary reason. See, if a struggling family finds their light bill paid, or a car bill paid, or a missionary finds funds to put a roof on a church in Africa, who gets the glory? God does, right? But only if we are not standing in the way. When we understand our role as managers, stewarding his blessings his way, this ensures that all the glory goes simply where it needs to, to God. And that leads us to our next way. Check your heart. So remember back in our scripture reading, uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9, said each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I remember uh, at the church I went to growing up, um, our lead pastor had gone on vacation, and as these things often do, they bring in somebody else to preach the message on giving, kind of like, never mind, okay, um, so I actually asked for this topic, um, but the preacher was preaching on that verse from 2 Corinthians, and in fact, that preacher is uh, my childhood youth pastor who's visiting that's super cool. But what he explained to us is that that word cheerful that we see in our Bibles actually comes from a word that we get the English word hilarious from. So we could say that we should be hilarious givers and excited when we get the opportunity. 
So what he did was he challenged the congregation that the next week when we got to the moment of offering and we passed the plates, because that's what we did there, that he wanted us to just erupt in cheering and praise for the chance to give. Now, nobody told the pastor this. Um, So the next week, he returned and was giving the message, and we got to the point where uh, we passed the plates, and he said, and it's usually very soft and somber, reflective, right? They get out the weird-looking bags with the handles and the satin pouch. But so we got to that point, and he says, you know, now we're going to pass the plates, and the congregation just erupted in cheering. And our pastor certainly wasn't expecting this, and he nearly fell on the floor, Now, I can't speak for the actual hearts of all of the people who were cheering, if they were being genuine or just doing something that they were being challenged to do. But the idea is that we should count it a joy when we get to give, and we should do it with a proper heart, a heart of gratitude, a heart that says, thank you. Now, you might notice that here at Maricopa Springs, we actually don't pass the plates for offering. And this is because we believe that your generosity needs to reflect your heart. See, we, people can give online or we do have a box in the back, but we do not pass out plates. It shouldn't be out of compulsion or shame or guilt. It should be joyous as an overflow of the generous grace that you have received. Now, in Scripture, we do see this cheerful or voluntary giving, um, including in areas like of the Old Testament when we typically only think of obligatory giving or of the tithe. So like when the Israelites were gathering, gathering materials for the tabernacle in Exodus 25-2, the Lord tells Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. See, God wanted the contents of the tabernacle to come from people's joyous love for him and not out of command or obligation. So we need to check our hearts and ask ourselves about our motives. Why are we not giving? Why are we giving so little? And there could be lots and lots of different reasons. Perhaps you haven't let go of money because it is an idol and you still need to grow in stewardship. Maybe you have the the mentality of just, God doesn't need my money, which is true. He doesn't need your money, but he requires your obedience. Or maybe you've surrendered so much ownership to others in the form of debt and payments and other obligations that you simply have nothing left over. Or maybe you still simply lack the faith that the one who has given all to you so graciously could continue to provide with you being generous. But if you're one of these people, remember again that God is gracious and he's still working on you like he's working on me. Continue to seek him, to pray. Pray that he will change your heart, give you wisdom, give you discernment. Pray for chances to be generous. And when you get them, be obedient. And remember in the end that it's all his. And this brings us to our last point. You know your role, you've checked your heart, so now we got to do our part. But before we get completely into that, um, I want to do a quick little sidetrack, because you may have heard me earlier mention the word tithe, and if you don't know what that is, basically it's an Old Testament principle that said that you should give a tenth or 10% of everything you receive back to God. 
And there's a few uh, examples, different examples of this that you'll see in Scripture. And one of them's in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 32. We see what we call the Levitical tithe, which was given to support the Levitical priests. And this means that people gave a tenth of their animals for the priests to sell and use that money. It says in those verses, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. So that one's kind of interesting. So when they gave, it clearly says that they shouldn't try to take it back once they gave it, or else it's going to cost them an extra 20%. I think that's an interesting one. Or in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 26, we see what we call the festival tithe, which in that one, 10% of crops and of firstborn animals was taken basically to this massive uh, worship party. And I won't read that portion, but if you want to write down the, the reference, it's Deuteronomy 14, 20 to 26. But that one actually sounds cool, and we should plan that for our camp trip next year. But then lastly, there was the poor tithe. This is in that same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 14, but in verses 28 and 29. This one says, At the end of every three years you shall bring out all of the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work you do. I share that more of information, but because remember that in the new covenant, we are under a covenant of grace and not a covenant of law. God doesn't simply want your obedience, he wants your heart. After Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, the law of Moses was no longer in effect, so we move from the law of Moses to the law of Christ, or what we would call the church age, as you can hear, as you hear it called now. And I think that's because, you know, you could give 10% and you can be grumpy about it. You can not be cheerful about it. And the only reason you give it is because you think of it as a command. If that's you, you've missed the point. You can't give a certain amount of God just to simply get him off your back. Um, That's what we would call legalism. And you need to go back and check your heart. There was an old uh, theologian named Jehardus Voss who once said, Legalism lacks the supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it does not adore. And this is one reason that generosity falls under our core value of adoration. So let's get back to doing our part. Now, I hate to state the obvious here, but the biggest way to do your part is to act. See, hope isn't going to solve our problems. Dreams alone are never going to get things done. James tells us that faith without works is dead. People who are successful in any area, including generosity, are people who urgently drive themselves to action. But what does action actually do? See, action closes the gap between what we are doing now and what we want to do. 
See, we don't just sit around and think about it or talk about it. We act on it, and that's the way of closing the gap. I once heard a business coach say that it takes 21 days to start a habit, 12 weeks to find a groove, six months to lock it down, one year to crave it, and two-plus years to make it part of your identity. But after that, I'm sure you still have some really important questions, and I want to try to keep it practical. How much should I give? Who should I give to? Who should I say no to? I still can't give because I'm broke. What do I do about that? Well, remember once again back to that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So we're going to go through each of those questions, and hopefully we can get through them quickly. The first one is, how much should I give? Probably the question that no preacher would ever want to answer. But I'm going to start by saying right here is a spot of personal conviction for us and not biblical mandate. But this is how our family has decided in our hearts how much we should give. And again, I illustrate this only to illustrate the process. You will need to figure out something for your family, but if this example is helpful in what we did, then that's great. So Catherine and I, through study and prayer, we have decided that for us, 10% to the local church is always our baseline. We will give over that, but that's always our starting point. And again, to be Captain Caveat, I'm not saying that is your starting point. That's where we have decided in our heart. But how did we get there? Well, when I read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then if you were to continue reading on to see what he says about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies, what I see is that time after time, Jesus raises the bar and never lowers it. So for that reason, we use 10% as our baseline. And I repeat again, I am not saying that you are obligated to a tithe or giving any certain amount. I'm simply illustrating how through study and prayer, this is where my family has decided to start. See, there could be some people in this congregation right now that 10% is literally nothing for you because you're currently giving 50 or 60% because you have the means to do so, and that brings joy and gladness to your heart. And if that's you, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But then there's others who might be in some situation where giving even 2% is just this big hairy deal and giant step of faith and you don't know how God will provide. If that's you, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's why knowing your role and checking your heart are so important. Or another strategy could be to list out all of your monthly expenses, kind of sounds like a budget, And see where your money says your heart is. Now, I'm not saying that giving to the church has to be number one. In fact, I can be honest with you and say that for a lot of months, it isn't ours. Uh, Grady said in a message a few years back um, to go and give yourself the Amazon test. Go home and see how much you spend in a month 
or a year on Amazon and see if your giving to God exceeded your giving to Mr. Bezos. Again, I'm not imposing legalism, that's not my point, but sometimes looking at the facts can lead us to a gut check. So who should you give to? Well, we believe that the bulk of our giving should be to the local church. We read in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 12 that said, For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanks to God. So supplying the needs of the saints is important. We need to bless where we are blessed. And know that I say that and I don't receive any sort of salary or anything, so I'm not like, help me out guys, right? But we believe that you should also be giving to other places where you feel led. So this is something that your family should pray about. For example, our family feels uh, very passionately about the future of Maricopa Springs. So we choose with some of our additional giving to support our church's growth fund. And finally, Catherine and I both have a heart for missions. So we allocate some of our additional giving to a couple who's on the mission field in Guatemala. Now those are just three areas that we consistently give to. And if we feel give, uh, led to give in, some, in, an, in an additional capacity, we act. And I share that part because there are so many worthy causes out there that we could not possibly ever support them all. See, you have to decide through prayer where God is wanting you to pour his blessings and then trust that he's going to lead other people to support other ministries. So does he want you to give one dollar to a million different organizations Or do you think that you should give a million dollars to one organization? Now, I can't make that decision for you. Um, That's through prayer, what you would have to decide. But remember to be intentional and have a plan about it. Who should you not give to? This one is super easy. Is the organization using his blessings, his way, for his glory? If the answer is no to any of those questions run. And then this is the last question we posed earlier. I'm too broke to give. What do I do? I call this being positioned for generosity. And as I said earlier, there could be many reasons why you don't give or you don't give what you'd like to. And we did talk about some of those. But remember that you will never, ever become generous by accident. You need to have a plan And I can't speak to everyone's personal story, but I do know the reason that many people can't give like they want to is because of debt. See, when we are in debt, what we are doing is surrendering surrendering our stewardship of God's blessings over to somebody else. So in effect, what we're saying is with the first $500 I received this month, I'm giving that stewardship over to Ford Credit for the next six years. Or... Then with the next $1,500 I get every month, I'm giving stewardship of that money over to the mortgage company for the next 30 years. And if we aren't careful, pretty soon there's simply nothing left for us to be generous with because we've already turned the stewardship of that money over to other people. But let's be very clear, I'm not telling you that if you're in debt, you're in sin, or I'm not even saying, uh, now I would say that I don't think you can find many verses that 
support debt as being a good thing. I think Scripture tells us to avoid it, but it doesn't forbid it. And I'm also not telling you that you need to sell your house or sell your car or anything like that. But the point that I'm making is that any financial decision you make can have a positive or negative effect on your ability to be generous. If the house you live in has zero effect on your ability to be generous to where your heart feels led, live in whatever house you want. If the car you drive has no impact on your ability to be generous in the way you want, drive whatever car you want. See, the point is that we don't make these things our idols and prevent us from generosity when we feel that we need to give. So if you aren't as generous as you'd like, what are you doing to get there? Remember, we need a plan. Are you on a budget? If not, get on one. If you don't know how, ask. There's tons of people in this congregation who'd be willing to help. Do you have a plan to get out of debt? If you don't have a budget, I can tell you the answer is no. Is there an idol in your life that you need to get rid of? Are there areas in your life that you need to find contentment in in order to preserve your chance to be generous? I know we've gone long, but I'm going to conclude here. Remember that generosity is a matter between you, your family, and God. We know that you must give, and we know that you need to do it cheerfully, and this is going to take some time if you're not there, but you do need to start. You will never become generous or grow in generosity on accident. You have to start somewhere. Dive into the Word. Seek the Lord in prayer. Ask brothers and sisters in the church for help and for encouragement. And remember, know your role. It's not yours to begin with. Check your heart. Understand your motives. And lastly, do your part. It's time for action. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your generosity that has no bounds. We're grateful for the gift of salvation and the redeeming grace that we do not deserve. I ask this morning that our hearts will have been opened and challenged in the way of generosity. As you have been so generous to us, please make us generous. Teach us how to steward your blessings the way you would want us to do so. And may we never do it to bring glory to ourselves, but only to point to your glorious name. Give us wisdom and guidance on when, how, and where to give. Let us discern areas we should not give to. Transform our hearts so that we will give from a heart of gratitude and not from obligation or guilt or shame. Please remove barriers that may prevent us from action. And Lord, please bless those who do give, that they may have their needs met and may continue to grow in faith and generosity. Amen.